Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Dr. Jay Calvert, and I am here today with my illustrious co-host, Dr. Millicent Ravello. Good evening. How are you doing, Millicent? I'm doing all right. How are you? We have our first guest. We do. Tonight. It's so exciting. We have never had a guest, but we have one now. And we it sure is do. Dr. Andrew Cohen. Dr. Cohen, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you. We've never had anybody else on this podcast. It's just well, been the two of us kind of like making some thoughts and I think it's great to have guests and I'm I'm proud to be here. Well good. We're happy to have you. We want to talk about breast reductions today. Is that correct? That's correct. That's it's something you do a lot of? I do a ton. It's really become Literally. my Yeah. Uh, yeah. You it's think you've be- reduced a ton of breast tissue at this point in your career? <laughs> is that possible? It is possible. It is. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, uh, it's become really my number one surgery that I do. Wow. Um it's very common. And it's a pleasure to do it. As both of you know, it's our one surgery that our patients are really the happiest with, as you both know. Totally rewarding. Very much so. We talk about this a lot. Yeah. No matter how big someone is, they always, you know, once you've had it reduced and gotten it to the correct size, they're happier than a facelift or breast augmentation patient. I mean, they're really the happiest. What do you think, Millicent? Is Is it a high satisfaction procedure? Oh, it's very much so. I think more so than a lot of the surgeries we do that have a very high cosmetic appeal and people really like the results from an aesthetic standpoint, this one also has a functional appeal. I mean, these patients will literally say the night of or the next morning, I woke up for the first time and my back pain or my neck pain was gone. Like It's an immediate effect. Very satisfying. Yeah. For those who don't have this issue, it's easy to simulate. All you have to do is go to the go to the weight room and get two, three, or four-pound weights, tie them together with a, a, some kind of string, rope, whatever, and put them around your neck and walk around. And it's yeah. literally that heavy. All day. So that's true, but take that the opposite way. So when a young woman comes to my office and has heavy breasts, I ask them, if you take your breasts and lift them and unhold them, does your neck and back feel better? Well, yeah, it does, Dr. Cohen. Okay, then you know that most likely this surgery will help you because we're going to take off that weight. So, you know, that's just the reverse of what you're saying. But, I mean, that's what I use in the office. Yeah, for sure. And and it's a great, you know, people always wonder, will I benefit from this operation? So who benefits? Is it just somebody that has that test? Is there – what are the other issues that bring people in for breast reduction? I mean, I think – Aesthetically, how it looks, people with ptosis, which means that the nipples and breast tissue is hanging low. And that's spelled P-T-O-S-I-S, a very ptosis kind of interesting (laughs) word, but uh, that just means that the nipples are lower than they ought to be. the crease or the fold. Sure. Um, And there are gradations of that. Neck pain, upper back pain, lower back pain. Rashes. Rashes are the, Rashes. the biggest one that brings them in for me. Right. The inter-trigo. skin on skin. Skin yeah. on skin, intertrigo, and people are using fungal creams and baby powder and all that kind of stuff, but it sometimes just doesn't work. And that's one of the criteria that these insurance companies might use um, that we have to explain that these patients have to try to get things reimbursed. Yeah, I mean, getting these reimbursed by the insurance companies is no easy task. That is a, it is a, Right. A hoop jumping checklist that really you have to meet all of them if you're going to be able to get reinsur- uh, get the insurance to reimburse you for this procedure. You do. 
But, you know, I take pictures. I do a good history and physical. I send everything into insurance. It depends on their plan and what they have, whether it's Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Aetna. It just depends on your plan. For sure. But but you got to have the symptoms improve. You've had them for over six months or a year, and you've tried medical management first. And sometimes we get a letter from their doctor that says that. Um, which means they've tried fungal creams and supportive bras and maybe a chiropractor, all the you know medical management. If you fail that, then they'll they might do it. But it takes a letter from me, pictures from me. If it gets denied, we even sometimes do a peer to peer review, which means I call the person at the insurance company and say, "Hey, what you know? These are the pictures. I mean, I'm going to remove. You have to remove a certain amount, such as 500 grams or more." which is pretty significant. Well, you know, and that's the thing. I find that completely ridiculous that they say you need to remove this many grams or we're not paying. Like right. it's like it's well, it, so like arbitrary. It's it's not though. I mean, there are some insurance companies that do have a set 500 gram limit kind and of some baseline that don't. and some that actually are a little more intuitive in the sense that they use the patient's body mass index or BMI True. as a scale. So I once had a patient who was literally like 110 pounds with large breasts. And for her, it only took 200 grams. And she was approved because based on her body weight, her breasts were too large. And so we did not need to remove 500 grams. That's really true. I did have one where I said, oh, I'm only going to remove 300. And they approved it. I'm like, great. Okay. So, right. Because you don't want to like fit this, you know, this uh, requirement to your patient. If, the, right. if some insurance reviewer who's sitting in you know, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, reviews your your notes and the photos and says, I think you need to take off 500 grams. And your patient is, you know, five foot two inches tall, uh, 110 pounds and has, you know, G-sized breasts. Right. Like, how do you know that 500 grams is the, what if it's 300 grams and they're going to have a, a B or C cup breast and be relieved of their symptoms? Why Why do we need to fit it into that box? And I think that's where, you know, I always sort of go to bat for my patients, say I'm going to take what I need to take to make right. that, to get their symptoms to go away and leave them with, you know, a natural result. Right. Right. Today, it is an artistic procedure. Right. You, you got to make it look good. I don't care what the insurance totally. company actually says. I have to get, if they want a B cup or a C cup, right. that's what I'm going to give them. Right. But they're trying, I mean, to their credit, the insurance companies are trying to weed out the people that don't really have symptoms and just want an aesthetic lift, in which case that's a cosmetic procedure and something that insurance shouldn't pay for. So there is a reason to have these kind of criteria, and it's to make sure that we really are treating on the insurance dollar patients that have a medical need for a reduction. For sure. But there is one caveat to that. In massive weight loss patients, thinking of that. in yeah, the 19316, you can get a mastopexy approved because if they have the intertrigo and right. they have, you know, essentially just skin for breasts, which is very common in the massive yes. weight loss patient, they will. I have had mastopexies approved. And yeah, because yeah. if they, it will relieve them of their intertrigo and the infections and being on antibiotics, et cetera. Okay. So that is the one caveat where it's not actually a reduction. It's simply a lift, it's a lift. Okay. but it's to get the skin and skin skin on skin kind of problem to go away okay but we're talking about reduction so yeah. in general these are the criteria now what is your preferred technique since there's lots of ways to do reductions yeah dr cohen enlighten us i mean i think that 
you know, people have to understand there's no one right way. So we're going to talk about multiple ways. It depends on what your surgeon is comfortable with. I, I think most plastic surgeons, in my opinion, and American board certified plastic surgeons like we are, are doing, I think they're doing inferior pedicle wise pattern technique. At least that's how I was trained. And some people are doing a superior or superior medial pedicle. It's a great way to go but it's just not my comfort zone. I love the inferior pedicle. It's how I've been doing it. It's how I can reshape it, and I, I like that technique. So I'm a little old-fashioned, but it works. Why is it old-fashioned? If it works I, in your hands, I, Maybe I shouldn't say it's old-fashioned because, I, 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 you know, my, my teacher, Fuana Hai, you know, back Oh, in he's Atlanta, a superior pedicle guy. He's like, a superior pedicle all, all in on the superior pedicle. I did I a know. superior medial pedicle today, as a matter of did fact. Did you really? I did. I, I like that technique, but... I like the inferior pedicle too. It's yeah. it's dealer's choice. Yeah, Doctor Ravello, what's what your do you preferred like? technique? Well, I think we just need to clarify for the listeners a little bit here when we're yeah. talking about pedicles. When we talk about pedicles, we actually are referring to the blood supply to the nipple. So when we do a breast reduction, we are really rearranging a lot of the breast tissue and we're cutting out a lot of skin and we have to stay very focused on the fact that the nipple is what needs to maintain its blood supply and that can be done in a variety of ways and that is what we refer to as the pedicle. So a superior pedicle, the blood supply is coming down from the top of the breast, inferior pedicle it's coming up from the bottom and like Dr. Cohen said, there's no right or wrong way to do it, it's just a lot of times surgeon preference and or patient anatomy. So I, you know, I kind of split the difference. In my hands, an inferior pedicle is reliable. I can do it well. I know how it's going to perform long term. And I tend to do it for my larger patients that need a big lift. They need to raise the nipple significantly or if I need to take out a lot of breast tissue. If I have a smaller patient with a narrower base or they just don't need as much of a reduction, I will occasionally do the superimedial as well. I think it's it's dealer's choice. Everybody has their their way, and then there's a lot of different situations. Uh, there's also the free nipple technique, where mm -hmm. you actually remove mm -hmm. the nipple areola or complex from the breast, take it literally off, and then put it back on after you've reshaped the breast mound, lifted it, put it where it belongs, reduced it, and then you put the nipple areola or complex back onto the breast as a free skin, skin graft, graft, basically. Skin graft, yeah. And they do really well. They and do really well. I, I think that that's a technique that you can't leave out, especially when you have a very long distance to travel the, the nipple up the chest wall. I, I use 16 to 18 centimeters as sort of like, eh, it's getting a little too long in that, that blood supply to keep the nipple areola or complex a lot. How do I've, you feel about that, Dr. Cohen? I don't like doing free nipple grafts if I can get away with it. I've, of course. I'll show you on the iPad someone, you know, 40 centimeters, I mean, you know, huge. And I just like to have a sensate nipple. I want women to wake up with a sensate nipple. And I've really done very, very large women with an inferior pedicle. And it's it's done great. And it works. It's been a problem. I've done free nipple grafts on the men who are massive weight loss who sure. I do an excision of free nipple graft because the nipple's really low. So for the gynecomastia, massive wave loss patient, they call that the double incision free nipple graft um, technique, and I've done that. But I, I like leaving the nipple attached. Yeah, if you can, I think that's the way to go. Um, Millicent, what's your distance cutoff where you're like, whoa, I'm just, this is too far. Like, I got to get this it's thing to Texas. Where, when's that? When's that? cut off for you? It depends on, you know, if we're talking from the top of the chest, the sternal notch down to the nipple, my cutoff is probably somewhere around the 38, 40 centimeter mark. But I think the most important distance really is the nipple to the fold. 
because that's the actual kind of if you're doing an inferior pedicle, that's the length of your pedicle. So if I'm coming up on 18, 20 centimeters there, that's sort of my upper limit. But I like to try. You know, I like to see, you know, I always reserve the free nipple graft in my back pocket if I need it. Of course. But I very rarely start with that unless it's a very, you know, older patient, a lot of health problems, and I just need to get in and out of the OR quickly, then I might go to a free nipple graft. But in general, I try and preserve it as much as possible. That one I left attached. It's probably the largest one I've done in practice, I think. So we're looking at photos of a patient with breasts that are probably, I, I don't know how, are they 40 centimeters from the, the sternal notch to the that's to the nipple? More. Maybe, maybe more. more. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, that's definitely a long way to go. Yeah. So you, to bring that up and you left that attached, you did not do that as that's a free nipple. That's pedicle. Yeah, did it so it, it can be done. Yeah, it can That's be right. done. It's all survived. And she did well. Other people wanted to do free nipple graft. And I said, you know, I'd, li- I'd like to have a nipple with sensation. I think a sensate nipple um, is nice to have if possible. Because when you do the free nipple graft, you, I don't, you're not going to have sensation. No, that's for sure. So if it... If that's an issue, we have to sit and talk about it. If it's not an issue, fine, do a free nipple graft. A lot but of the patients is. with the long breasts don't have a whole lot of nipple that's sensation true. to begin true. with. So they, they aren't so worried about that. And uh, I think also one of the complications of a breast reduction is for the, the nipple areolar complex to partially die or slough off uh, and or completely. And then you have to rebuild a nipple like you would for a cancer patient. So it is... It is better to obviously preserve the patient's own nipple if you can. And so in the cases where if you do a long pedicle, you can always, like you said, bail yourself out and say this nipple isn't going to make it. Take it off as a skin graft and put it back on. One thing we should mention is like post-op care I just think is so important, as important as what I do in the operating room. So this comes up to when you're talking about a nipple. I mean, we see that patient the next day or the day after because if that nipple is compromised or if it's turning blue, I can do something for them. That day, yes. Yeah. And this happened the other day. I had a little blue nipple. It was someone that already had a lift and I was redoing the lift and it's blue the next day. So I can get him to something called hyperbaric oxygen, which is a chamber that can bring in oxygenation into that nipple. Yep. And it's, it's saying my nipple looks pink and happy today. So something to know, I mean, I really think we don't talk about post-op care. We really see patients, and I know you both do too, a lot right away after surgery, make sure there's no problems, there's no nausea, no vomiting, no problems with hematomas. It's important. I don't think every plastic surgeon does that. You know, I think post-op care is so pertinent to getting taking care of these patients. Absolutely, and you should see them... You know, the next day at the very latest, if you can, the night of, that's great. If they're in the hospital, you make some rounds on them. But most of my patients are outpatient. My patient yeah, tonight everybody. is yeah. out in Woodland Hills. And, right. you know, everything looked good when she left the uh, recovery room. Pink, happy nipples, as you said. Yeah, but you never know. Like I that. Mean, you know, you want to Who see knows the what's going on at home, though. After, yeah. You know. And right. things change with swelling. You know, things can change. So, no, I agree. One, two days at most, as for most breast cases, yeah. I'm looking at that nipple. Yeah, sometimes yeah. I wait day two. It just depends yeah. on where they live and things. Yeah, but you want to stay on top of it. Post-op care, I think, in plastic surgery, period, is really important. And I make a big, big deal about that with my patients, that you must follow up and you must follow the directions or you're going to have problems with these procedures. We know when to intervene. The patients, obviously, are not skilled in the art of breast reduction surgery, and they don't know how to take care of this. So you do have to listen, follow directions, and come back. Very important. 
Will you guys do a breast reduction on a smoker? <laughs> no. I, I, the problem with smoking is that it decreases blood supply, so you're going to have problems with blood supply to your nipple and potential loss of the nipple and problems with wound healing of your incisions. So generally speaking, I say you have to stop at least four weeks before surgery. But you know what? I, you know, I've had this patient who has smoked 40 years really, really wanted her breast reduction. And she said, Doc, there's no way that I can quit smoking. I just, I cannot. I understand what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I'm at a higher risk for all of these things. I really need this breast reduction. I can't stop smoking. And and she couldn't. And, you know, we had some wound healing issues. We had some blood supply issues to the nipple. And she's like, you told me, and I get it. I don't care. I'm so happy that these breasts are reduced. So it's patient to patient. It's not my preference, but if someone really can't stop smoking, but they really need that reduction. See, I wonder if we should do HBO before and after the surgery, if that would have helped. Because I would think of that sometimes, if you can get it. There's a I, lot I of HP, hyperbaric yeah, oxygen. Hyperbaric oxygen around. is very useful, especially yeah. in those situations where you have compromised wound healing, compromised tissue. Um, my friends from Europe say if they didn't operate on smokers, it wouldn't operate on anybody. <laughs> so they do breast reductions on smokers. Yeah. All the time. I do too. And you can do it. It just, you have to let the patients know that there can be more complications, as high as 40% more uh, chance of complications. And is hookah the same as smoking? Is there <laughs> nicotine and hookah? Uh, I, think I think hookah I think counts. Is, yeah. I think that counts big time. Yeah. And I think also vaping counts. So okay. uh, you have to recognize that these things are not great for plastic surgery. Pla- plastic yeah. surgery is a battle of, you know, beauty versus blood supply. You know, what can you do with the blood supply of these tissues to move them around and make things look beautiful? And so if you're interrupting the blood supply, that's not really a handy way to have plastic surgery. And the other thing, too, that puts patients at higher risk, the larger the breast, the larger the patient, the much higher risk you are for all complications. And that usually takes the form of wound healing issues. You know, these are long, especially if it's a big breast, you're going to have long scars, long incisions, and it takes a lot to heal those. And so the higher the the BMI, the patient, the breast, the higher the chance of having problems with the incisions. Now, for your practice, uh, Dr. Cohen, and you said you do, this is your number one procedure. How yes. many breast reductions do you think you're doing a year? That's, I should have counted up before I came today. Um, breast reductions only or breast lifts together? No, I mean, breast reduc- like reductions, like medically indicated breast reductions. I don't know, 60 or 70, but I'm just guessing. I can't say I actually That's a big that number. number. That's a lot. That, that's a ton. I think 60 or 70. I mean, yeah. we have three or four this week. Wow. I did one yesterday. I have one today. We did a 19-year-old yesterday and a 20-year-old today. I did as young as 15-year-old. Two weeks ago, we did a 15-year-old. Yeah, so I mean young, that but, that's a good number. Um, yeah. Do you couple breast reduction with other procedures, abdominal liposuction, tummy tucks, mommy makeovers? Sometimes, Is that common? S- sometimes, yes, but I'm, I'm a very conservative plastic surgeon. I don't like to operate more than seven hours at a time. It's usually between six and seven Neither. hours. That's a long and one. And a breast reduction is four hours. It's between three and four hours if I have a good good help. So, you know, I'll do a breast reduction on lipo of the abdomen if they're young and healthy. Sure, but I won't do, and rarely, sometimes, a breast reduction in a small tummy tuck, meaning the, the amount of skin, how much tissue I'm taking away. But if it's a larger abdominoplasty, I won't. I try not to do that with a breast reduction if I can help it. I'll do it in their 
late 20s, early 30s, um, but we have a long discussion about follow-up, post-op care. They got All the things at, that we know are important. Yeah, they got to stay at an aftercare facility. We have, we're lucky in Los Angeles to have, to have a good aftercare facility here to send them to, um, and that's called Serenity, and I think, I think that's important. Oh, yeah. I mean, the uh, aftercare facilities are very key or to do these in in the hospital if you have to. I mean, most of us do them in outpatient setting. I mean, uh, you do a fair amount at your in the hospital, though, correct? Yeah, I mean, part of my practice is hospital based. So, yeah, we do a lot of these and they're in the hospital setting, but they come the morning of they go home the same day. It's in our same day surgery center but they still go home that at day the hospital yeah you don't keep them 23 hours or anything mm-hmm. yeah we don't unless either. they have medical issues but in general no they go home i think that's the way to go and patients do better at home they move they around i think being at home saves you a lot of problems that come up in a hospital true you know there's just things that people have to do to you all night long they got to check that you're you know blood pressure isn't crazy right, and right. so they wake you up every two hours and it's much more comfortable to be home with these procedures. What's the cost of these procedures if you're paying cash? In uh, Los Angeles, we always make the point on this podcast that Los Angeles and Beverly Hills are sort of the are outlier markets than the rest of the United States, for that matter. So we try to say, in general, the, the average cost in the U.S., I think for these cash-wise, is probably around $8,500 or so. On average, yeah, yes. I would think so. I think in Los Angeles, between twelve and fourteen is about yeah. you know what I've seen. Yeah, I mean, I've seen as high as uh, eighteen thousand dollars for for a breast reduction, cash wise. Sure. With the insurance, um, if you get the authorization, obviously there may still be deductibles. There still may it depends whether you're going to an in network or out of network. Correct. Whether the operating room's covered, there's all different combinations. But those are sort of ballpark figures to kind of have in mind if you're going to do this. True. Um, Liposuction of the axilla is also part of this procedure. Mm-hmm. Is that usually covered with the insurance, or do the patients have to pay separate for that if they you want to, to do that? In in my practice, they have to pay separate for that. Yeah, if they want lipo <laughs> of the <laughs> axilla, they got to pay for that. Correct, and yeah. I charge for that. Yeah, for sure. It's a cosmetic and portion. Even the Canadians charge for that. They uh, they'll get the uh, the reduction will be authorized, and as we know, Canada has a very good you know sort of paying system for these types of uh, medically indicated procedures, but the liposuction is not covered and you have to charge your patient for Correct. it. Correct. So. Correct. And, and I think that's an important part of the procedure that helps me keep the breast Makes round. it look nicer. I think there's right. a lot of stuff on the side and I, I really, uh, we do that with every breast reduction, but yes, it is a separate cost. How about for you, Millicent? <laughs> No, I'm thinking I need to change my practice around. No, I just I just do it. Um, I know insurance doesn't pay for it, but you know I want my patients to come off the table looking great. So if they need it, I just do it. Everybody's got a different different approach for sure. Yeah. And the scars on the anchor, the wise pattern anchor scars. How do you manage those after your procedures, Doctor Cohen? Is there any special kind of cocktail of creams or anything that you do? Do you lasers, microneedling? Do you, uh, what, what's the, the trick to making those scars as good as they can be? I honestly haven't been doing microneedling, although I want to. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start doing that because I think it could help, actually, um, to be honest with you. And that's what I've seen. I need to do some more microneedling. That's my next phase to do. But so far, I've been very happy with Stratamed. Stratamed is a silicone cream. I mean, you don't have to get that one. I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of silicone creams to put on a scar. When do they start? Well, I do antibiotic ointment for two weeks, and then they start the silicone cream like Stratamid or Pure Seal or Bicordium. But I think any kind of silicone base um, is good. 
I've tried Embrace on these before, which is a silicone um, strip that goes on and takes the tension off. It's too hard to put on the breast, and I think it's a yeah. waste. So I've gone to just, um, although I like it for other things like arm lifts and things. But I like Stratamed. Got Stratoderm, it. Stratamed. What nice. about uh, silicone sheeting? The wise pattern silicone sheeting that you can get. Have you tried that? I've tried it, and it works okay. Some people like it, some don't. I just find the cream easier to put on than my Sasha didn't put it on. Um, tried it. What's your regimen, Dr. Ravello? I usually wait until, like <clears throat> Dr. Cohen said, usually two weeks. Basically, once your incisions are healed. Once your incisions are healed, then I start suggesting silicone. If they can tolerate the strips, that's my preference. You can get straight strips and cut them to the size and shape you need or you can buy the ones that are sort of pre-made for breast reductions and I like the sheeting in the initial two months or so because it gives an extra layer of pressure and compression which is helpful for scars some patients can't tolerate it they have an allergy to the adhesive in it so in those patients then I say just go to the actual creams but what I always tell everyone that key thing when you're doing scar treatments, specifically silicone, because that's really the only cream that actually has a benefit, you have to commit to it. It's not going to improve your scars in two weeks. This is a three to six month treatment. And if you're not dedicated to it, you're sort of wasting your time and effort. For sure. I mean, these scars can be really amazing, but I've seen some that are not so great either. And I think it, it really just depends on how much attention you put towards really managing scar and tension on the wound. The other thing we don't talk enough about is post-op supportive bras. Oh, yes. We need For to talk about sure. That. I could do and a whole podcast yes. on bras. Right. And so, we will do a whole it's, podcast it's on bras. daytime and nighttime. Yes. I know, the nighttime bras night, key. That whole oh breast gosh. is falling, so yes. you've got to wear a bra. And so we've got a really good nighttime bra. I don't know if I should plug whose we use, but um, there's a night lift bra that's out there that's quite good. Oh, really? Yeah. I have a couple uh, colleagues that have developed a bra. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I really, think those work great. They really, you know, I make them wear a nice nighttime bra and daytime bra for the first six months to a year. I mean, that really, you know, it really helps take the tension off everything. It's hard, it's hard for people to understand how important that is because the one thing that they want with their newly reduced breast is to sleep without a bra. Without a bra. Right. They're I like, know oh, do. do I need to wear a bra? I'm like, <laughs> and they, yeah. And they expect Big it time. to stay perky. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, if you don't wear a bra and it falls, you're not allowed to complain to me, uh, you know, later on. Well, they're still going to complain. Of course they are. I know you said they're not allowed, but they will definitely uh, still complain. It's but gravity. Yes. It's not it's, Dr. It's Cohen. Gravity. It's gravity. So yeah. I tell my patients all the time, even my breast implant patients, oh, I don't have to wear a bra anymore. Yes, you do, because gravity always wins, always. Well, and then there's one last thing I want to kind of go over. What's the odds of needing a re-reduction? If you get a breast reduction when you're 25 years old, what's the odds that that's going to come back, that the breast will grow back and you need to do a re-reduction? I think it depends on, depends on your weight gain. It depends on your lifestyle. If you're going to gain weight, you could need another one. You might have two or three children and might have to do another lift. Because once you have babies, if you're 15, like I did a young gal or some of the two people one I did today and one yesterday that are 20, 19 and 20, I mean, eventually, yeah, you're going to have kids and you're going to have milk and it's going to form and things are going to fall. I'll have to lift it up. But that's going to be later on in life. So what's the chance? I think it's good because our bodies are always changing. Especially women's bodies. Yeah, I've seen it. They the same. Yeah. And I think there's really sort of two time frames when I see patients coming in for reductions. There are the young patients, the teenagers, the early 20s. And I do tell them there's a, there's a very good chance that you're going to need to have this breast reduced. Number one, because your breast might still be growing. And number two, with menopause, weight gain later on in middle age, 
it's probably going to go to your breast. That's where you tend to hold your weight. So younger patients, there's a higher chance they're going to have to be reduced later in life. Or any patient, like you said, that gains weight, they're probably going to need a reduction again at some point. Well, I think we've kind of covered the whole gamut of breast reductions. Dr. Cohen, where can our listeners find you? I have an office. I just, I've just i been in Beverly Hills for 18 years, and I just moved my primary office to Encino, closer to where I live. So it makes it, my life much easier. It's nice in Encino. And so I'm at 5400 Balboa Boulevard in Encino, and I operate in a surgery center in my building, and I also operate out of Cedars-Sinai and also at Bedford in Beverly Hills. So I have a few operating rooms that I use. Perfect. Well, I, I think for breast reductions, you know, you got to check out the photos. I think it's a very artistic yes. procedure. I always tell patients when they're picking a plastic surgeon, look at the, the before and after photos. People that focus on things tend to do a really nice job. And Dr. Cohen has amazing before and afters. Uh, Dr. Ravello, she is doing a ton of these, I know, as well. And I, I wrote an interesting blog post, actually, about breast reductions because I think it's a very artistic procedure and sort of gets kind of sidelined as a medical procedure, but I think you really have to pay attention to the aesthetics. It's it's a it's For key. Sure. I mean you want this to look nice when you're done. Yes. And you want to always go to a board certified plastic surgeon. Absolutely. That is who is really certified to do breast reductions. Correct. Yeah. I mean that I think we emphasize that every week, don't we, Millicent? We try. We, try. we talk about yeah. it. All right. Well, I want to thank our guest, Dr. Andrew Cohen. Thank you for coming thank in. You're our thank first you. guest. I have pleasure to be your you, first you, guest. You thank you. Kick some serious butt as thank our you. first guest. You had it's some great pleasure. information. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. Dr. Ravello, always great to see you. Always a pleasure. And uh, this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is brought to you by Rock Spa. This is MediSpa, located both in Beverly Hills and Newport Beach, providing services such as Botox, fillers, lasers, and all therapy, as well as hydrofacials and all the aesthetic products you could possibly need. It's run by the medical director, me, Dr. Jay Calvert. Rock Spa Beverly Hills is located at 120 South Spalding Drive in Suite 340, Beverly Hills, 90212. The phone number there is 310-777-0496. And Roxbaugh Newport Beach is located at 1617 West Cliff Drive, Newport Beach, California, 92660. The phone number there is 949-644-1111. You can go to their respective websites, RoxbaughNewportBeach.com or RoxbaughBeverlyHills.com. Rockspa was created to help my patients maintain their aesthetic beauty in between whatever operations they have throughout their lives. It's something that allows patients to come in, get their facials, skin treatments, take care of all the Botox fillers and lasers that they need to keep up their beauty. And if they've invested in any of the aesthetic operations I perform, it's the way to maintain those operations. If you mention this podcast you will get the member's pricing for your hydrofacial. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is the way that Dr. Ravello and I talk about the issues that are important to us in plastic surgery, but there's nothing better than getting to take care of our patients and do plastic surgery. Our practices are located in Beverly Hills, and I also have a satellite office in Newport Beach. If you'd like to get more information about our actual plastic surgery practices, you can take a look at my practice at drcalvert.com and Dr. Avello, 
rovelloplasticsurgery.com. My phone number is 310-954-1355, or you can contact us directly through the website, rovelloplasticsurgery.com. You can learn about my practice at drcalvert.com, and you can reach my office by calling 310-777-8800, and that will get you an appointment either in Beverly Hills or at the Newport Beach office. My practice is located in Beverly Hills. Our office phone number is 310-954-1355. You can also contact us directly through the website, which is rovelloplasticsurgery.com. We look forward to seeing you in the office for some aesthetic tune-ups.